I'm Scott Paul, and this is the Manufacturing Report. 3.7 million jobs in the United States have been lost to China from 2001 to 2018. And that number only seems to be climbing as the U.S.-China trade deficit swells, according to a new report published by the Economic Policy Institute. However, Donald Trump has been talking tough on China for a very long time. And although the Trump administration has secured a phase one trade deal with China, if America is going to stem the flood of manufacturing jobs leaving our nation's shores, we need to keep the pressure on instead of declaring victory as Donald Trump has. Now is not the time to quit. Today on the Manufacturing Report, Kat Adams and I are breaking down EPI's data and we'll be sharing the perspective of Dr. Robert Scott, one of the authors of the report, and talking about what you can do right now. That's next on the Manufacturing Report. Over to you, Kat. Thank you, Scott, for sitting down with me and breaking down some of this data. I understand that there's a long history for this report. It's not just this year that we've looked at the U.S.-China trade deficit and job loss. So can you talk to us a little bit about the background of this report? Yeah, certainly, Kat. And it's a really good question. I would say that Dr. Robert Scott, and I've known Rob for more than two decades now, predicted that bringing China into the WTO under the terms that we agreed to would result in a loss of manufacturing jobs. And he started to track that about four or five years after China entered the WTO. So starting in the mid-2000s, around 2005, and he noticed an incredibly disturbing trend. Uh, Chinese imports were rising dramatically. Our exports were going up, but there's a trickle uh, of exports. And as a result, you saw a dramatic loss of manufacturing jobs in the United States at a time that the rest of our economy was growing. And when the Alliance for American Manufacturing formed in 2007, we decided to partner with the Economic Policy Institute and Rob to produce periodic reports on China's trade deficit and its impact on American jobs. Over that period of time, we've seen a couple of trends, and this may bust a lot of myths for our listeners. First of all, the jobs that we're losing to China aren't all what we would consider legacy jobs or low-skill jobs. Think of the clothes that we wear or plastic toys or a lot of stuff that we might find in a Walmart that used to be made in America but is now made in China. Don't make a mistake. Those jobs are going to China and have gone to China wholesale. The interesting thing as well is that we are losing a dramatic number of advanced technology jobs to China in industries like computers and electronic parts and semiconductors. We're losing all of those jobs to China. 1.3 million jobs out of the 3.7 million overall jobs that have been lost to China are in that high-tech sector. And let me just give you an example. In Silicon Valley, an area I'm really familiar with, There used to be a lot of factories that made computer products. Now there's virtually none. I mean, there's a lot of high-tech jobs there, but they're all in research or software engineering or, or what have you. But the actual manufacture of equipment in Silicon Valley has decreased dramatically and is being replaced by production in China. Just think of all the smartphones that we have. Not a single one of them is made anywhere in America. The vast majority of them are made in China. So... That's one of the trends. And I think the other trend that was disturbing to us is that 
this manufacturing job loss has been widespread. Some people tend to think, oh, it's the Rust Belt that's losing jobs because of trade or is losing manufacturing jobs. Well, it's a lot more than that. You see concentrated job loss in states like New Hampshire. You see it in the South. You see it in the West. You see it in big states. You see it at small states. It is widely dispersed, and it's had a measurable impact on the American economy. I think when we talk about how many people are impacted by this, right, there's a huge portion of the population, every single state, every single congressional district has seen impact from the U.S.-China trade deficit and job loss. So has the Trump administration kept its promise to the American public of staying tough on China, talking tough to China? Is he acting tough with China? Has Donald Trump kept his promise? The answer is uh, partially, but not all the way. And I think what he says is a lot different from what actually has happened here, Kat. And the important thing for our listeners to know is that during the first two years of his presidency, we saw the trade deficit with China continue to go up. And it went up for a lot of different reasons, but it went up. And he said that he was incredibly concerned about this. So they achieved this deal in January with China, but it is a pretty meager deal. It's a deal by which China agrees to purchase some products, some agricultural products, some energy products, some manufactured products that might bring our export total up to a little above the trend line that it was on before the trade war and the retaliation started back in 2018. But what it didn't do, what Trump hasn't done, is get at the heart of why we have this imbalance with China. And it is complex. It's things like industrial subsidies, state-owned enterprises, and there's a lot more going on. But for Trump to declare victory, that's way too premature. The real work has yet to begin. And we actually have a clip from Dr. Rob Scott, who is one of the authors of the report, for his perspective. I think that this deal is unlikely to eliminate any significant number of the 3.7 million jobs lost due to growing trade deficits with China. These kinds of deals have been done for years, uh, with uh, not just with China, but with Japan and other countries in Asia. China, in particular, has proven that it's perfectly happy to offer promises that it will import more, but it's highly unlikely to follow through on those promises with actual commitments. I think, too, that what's gone on in the last year or two since the tariffs were first imposed is two things. First of all, China has allowed its currency to fall. It's fallen more than 10% since the tariffs were imposed in March of 2018. This has made China's exports cheaper, and it's offset the effect of the tariffs. Secondly, China has also restructured its production system. And so it's simply shipping exports to other countries. It's moved factories to other countries in places like Malaysia and Vietnam. And so the trade deficit is continuing to grow. And overall, although the trade deficit with China on a bilateral basis is down in 2019, the overall U.S. trade deficit in non-oil goods has actually increased, at least through November of 2019. What's happened is that the overall trade deficit, the, the headline number on goods trade, has declined, but the decline is entirely due to increased exports. Uh, petroleum products and reduce U.S. imports of crude petroleum. What we've become, this is really a, a result of the fracking boom, and we've become a net petroleum exporter in the last four months, which is pretty shocking if you think about it. We're supposed to be an advanced industrial economy, 
and yet how we're prospering is by selling oil to the rest of the world. I don't think that's an effective strategy for rebuilding American manufacturing, and that's what's lacking here. So we have unfulfilled promises, right, or more work to be done. What else can we be doing? Yeah, so first of all, there needs to be a phase two deal sooner rather than later, because the structural issues that, that Rob and I have mentioned are completely unaddressed. And there's not a clear solution that's been put on the table by the Trump administration. And he may try to distill this into Twitter rants or sound bites, the president, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. And we're going to have to do some things internally. We obviously need to make investments in our own technology, in our own workforce. We need responsible fiscal policies. We need to think about the value of the dollar and other things like that. But there are also specific trade measures that we have to look at as well and how we treat China's industrial subsidies, which are fully 3% of their gross domestic product, which is a staggering amount. Or as Rob has said, how we deal with our currency. And we've left those really hard issues down the road, in part because China is very reluctant to make any concessions on them. They know it's key to their economic strategy moving forward. But as reformers in China have said for a long time, and unfortunately their voices have been stifled now by Xi Jinping, China needs to move away from its export-driven economy towards a more consumer-driven economy. And these changes that I'm suggesting, that Robert is suggesting, are not only in our interest, they're in the long-term interests of China if it wants to build up a middle class and a balanced economy. And Rob actually has some next steps that he recommends as well. We need to address not just the subsidies themselves, but the consequences. In the last two decades, China has increased its steel production capacity by tenfold. It has massive excess capacity in steel and aluminum. We need to simply directly confront China and get them to shut some of those excess plants down. How do we do that? Well, I think, again, a cooperative approach may have been more effective. I think the steel and aluminum tariffs were very helpful to U.S. firms. I've said that. I've supported those tariffs. But I think it would have been much better if the Trump administration had worked with allies in Europe and Canada and Mexico to wall off unfairly traded metal coming from countries like China and Korea and others that are unfair traders in this industry and force them to get rid of these unnecessary plants which are distorting world trade. So looking into the presidential election in 2020, what should candidates be taking away from this report? Yeah, I wish the Democratic candidates had more to say about China. And part of that is, honestly, if you tune into the debates, the issue maybe comes up, but it's a the small percentage of the overall conversation that the moderators are allowing to take place on the stage. That said, there's discordance among the Democrats. Some Democrats have said, well, we want to get rid of Trump's tariffs. They've been costly and, and disastrous, and, and frankly, they've overstated the effects that, that have gone on. Other candidates have kind of punted on whether they will say, would you remove Trump's tariffs or what would your strategy be? Still others say we need to enlist allies. And so there's some truth in some of these elements, but I've yet to see a plan that gets to the difficult issues. If I were a Democratic candidate for president, I'd say something like this. We have to stay tough on China. We have to be smarter about it. We should enlist our allies in this effort, but we shouldn't take the pressure off of China. We have leverage in this, and we need to use it, but we need to utilize it in a much smarter way than Donald Trump is, and we have to focus on the serious issues, things like workers' rights violations, environmental pollution, in addition to currency manipulation, industrial subsidies, state-owned enterprises, and Trump hasn't talked about any of these issues. We need 
to do something about it sooner rather than later. Great. I think one of the hard things as a member of the general public, you read this report, you hear about it. I'm incensed, right? What do I do? So what can the general public do now? Yeah, well, I think obviously insisting that candidates have a real plan on how to prepare for our economic future and what the contours of the U.S.-China economic relationship should look like is very important. Rather than getting away with bromides like, oh, I'm going to be tough on China or I'm going to take China to the mat. That was actually Barack Obama who said that, not Donald Trump. But candidates want to be vague, get specifics out of them about what they're going to do. And I sure don't want a Democrat to release the tariffs without getting any concessions or any progress from China whatsoever. They should be explicit about that. But Kat, right now, citizens can take action. And in addition to talking to these candidates, they can click on an action on our website, AmericanManufacturing.org, and send a message directly to the administration that they're not satisfied with the progress that has been made so far. And they should. Those voices need to be heard because they certainly weren't heard when Donald Trump celebrated the phase one deal at the White House, and he was surrounded by a bunch of Wall Street guys who had outsourced jobs to China. We need the average Americans, the men and women who have worked in our factories or who support those jobs to stand up and be counted now to make sure the administration knows the job is not done. Much left to do. Well, thank you, Scott. That really helped debunk some of the myths that this report sets aside and gives us hope for what we can do next. Thanks, Kat. And that will do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. You can learn more about the Economic Policy Institute's report on job losses to China at epi.org. And as I mentioned, you can take action on our website, AmericanManufacturing.org. As always, I want to thank AAM staff and Kat Adams in particular for their work to make this episode possible. And for you, the listeners, for engaging with us and for giving us great episode ideas. Be sure to subscribe to the Manufacturing Report on Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And let us know what you think by leaving a review and a rating. And please keep in touch. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and you can connect with us on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together we can keep it made in America.